Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the Anesthesia Learn on the Go podcast series from the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology. In these episodes, we will provide a high-yield clinical review of some of the common topics encountered by anesthesiologists at all levels. The following episode will be recorded by a member of our department at UK. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at UK Anesthesia and subscribe to the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology YouTube channel for our video cast. Now fire up your headphones, relax, and let's talk anesthesia. This monologue contains some of my personal considerations when deciding whether to offer regional anesthesia or analgesia procedures to patients. It is by no means a list of rules or a suggestion that there are not other factors to consider, especially for any particular case. Nevertheless, I believe these points are worth keeping in mind. I also stress I am a strong proponent of these techniques when appropriate, so I hope you do not interpret this as a catalog of excuses not to perform nerve blocks. First and foremost, regional anesthesia does not save lives or cure diseases. While this may sound trivial, it is worth remembering, especially in light of the fact that complications from these techniques can cost lives and cause harm. As such, it should be evident that the requisites risk-benefit analysis for any procedure must include the consideration of the best and worst outcomes as well as their relative probabilities. Starting from the most severe, let us consider death as a possible outcome. In the case of nerve block injections, unintentional intravascular injection, or perhaps rapid vascular absorption, can cause cardiac dysrhythmias and circulatory arrest. The advent of intralipid therapy has reduced this threat, but not eliminated it. Certainly, it would be hard to argue that any patient is a good candidate for torsade de point, but someone with significant aortic stenosis may not tolerate even tachycardia from epinephrine in the local anesthetic. A nerve block with a higher-than-average risk of systemic toxicity, such as lumbar plexus block, might be less appealing than, say, a fascia iliaca injection, which may not provide the same level of pain relief, but which carries a lower risk of critical complication. Injections near highly vascular structures, such as tumors, may also lead to higher plasma concentrations of local anesthetics. Your plan for regional anesthesia should include strategies to deal with possible side effects. In the example of aortic stenosis, perhaps having a vial of beta blocker handy would be sufficient to mitigate the risk of an increased heart rate if it occurs. Rare for the amide class of medications, the most common type used for postoperative analgesia, significant allergic reaction can lead to death. Obviously, compounds associated with known patient hypersensitivity should be avoided, but unknown sensitivities may always occur. The clinician is all too often, however, faced with an incomplete picture from the patient's history. The familiar report of a dental visit complicated by intolerance to local anesthetic is usually attributable to the effect of epinephrine in the injectate. Of course, the operative word is usually. In a given patient, is the uncertainty worth the risk? Concurrent cardiac or pulmonary disease should be used to gauge the expected ability to tolerate allergic-type responses. Also worth noting is that allergic reactions often result from preservative and inactive ingredients in medications. 
it may be prudent in ambiguous allergy cases to consider the more expensive preservative-free formulations. Less severe than death, permanent neurologic damage resulting from nerve blocks must be discussed as a risk. In theory, such damage can result either from disruption of nerve fibers by blunt trauma from the needle, or due to fascicle damage from fluid injected into the nerve itself. Needle design, the so-called B-bevel, which is less acute than the standard hypodermic tip, can reduce the risk of nerve trauma by making the needle less likely to pierce the nerve sheath. For procedures relying on a nerve stimulator for needle tip location, there are no reliable data showing the lowest safe current below which nerve damage becomes likely. Papers purporting to demonstrate such a level have contained obvious flaws, making their conclusions suspect. Nevertheless, since successful blocks can be performed with target currents around 0.3 milliamperes, it seems sufficient to target this number. It may be prudent to reduce the needle proximity if a brisk twitch response continues down to the 0.1 milliampere range. Proponents of the ultrasound guidance technique often claim that neuronal contact or intraneuronal injection cannot occur because the needle is visualized in real time. However, the ASRA meta-analysis failed to show a significant difference in neurologic complications between ultrasound guidance and nerve stimulator techniques. That paper is entitled, quote, The ASRA Evidence-Based Medicine Assessment of Ultrasound-Guided Regional Anesthesia and Pain Medicine, unquote. This lack of difference is possibly due to the fact that, despite the belief of some ultrasound operators, needle-tip visualization is not always achieved at every moment during the procedure. Protection against nerve damage is best afforded by a patient capable of alerting the operator to the characteristic pain associated with nerve fiber contact. Patients unable to report such symptoms, unconscious ones for example, may be at greater risk of a complication as a result. Vascular injury can occur during any transdermal procedure. Ultrasound guidance for nerve blocks decreases the risk of vascular injury, but has not eliminated it entirely. Therefore, consider the location of vascular structures and the possibility of treating inadvertent puncture. Compression is usually sufficient to control bleeding, though it may require an extended period in anticoagulated patients. Also, some vessels are easier to compress than others. I'm looking at you, subclavian artery. My rule of thumb is that if a vessel can reasonably be compressed and the patient is not so anticoagulated that the surgeon is unwilling to do surgery, then I believe the risk is reasonable. Infection risk is present any time one punctures the skin, and proper attention to aseptic technique is essential. Having said that, spreading or worsening a pre-existing infection is not considered good form. Obvious infections near the site of needle insertion should be considered contraindications to regional techniques. Less clear-cut are infections distal to the needle site. Bacteria are carried away via the lymphatics, so there is a theoretical risk of lymphatic damage and subsequent bacterial seeding as a result of needle placement. Of course, the risk of spread exists even without regional anesthesia, 
but rest assured you will bear the blame for any abscesses in the vicinity of your insertion site. For that reason, I consider distal infections to be a relative contraindication, requiring careful consideration and discussion with the patient. A few hours of analgesia in exchange for a future IND is a tough trade. The likelihood of a successful outcome from a regional anesthetic technique also plays into the decision to proceed. Nerve blocks that only cover part of the affected area, or only one part of the body when surgery is performed on two distinct body regions, will seem relatively less effective than one addressing the entire site. This does not negate their value, but it means that patients may only see a reduction in dose of other pain medications rather than the possibility of avoiding them entirely. It also means that a frank discussion must be had with the patients prior to their consent. The physician may feel satisfied that some pain was avoided, but the patient may be frustrated that they were still hurting despite sitting through uncomfortable injections. That frustration may grow significantly if they later receive a bill for a seemingly pointless procedure. Also a risk factor for apparent block inadequacy is the patient who expects or desires narcotic pain medications. Insufficiently motivated patients who present with a history of narcotic use or abuse are particularly likely to complain that their discomfort is evidence the block was ineffective. Pre-existing nerve damage or dysfunction is yet another relative contraindication. Certainly, be cautious about blocking a limb with existing neurologic pathology. It can be very difficult to prove any change in function after surgery is not due to further damage caused by your injection. Prior symptoms may also be a reason to proceed with caution. On one hand, Perhaps this patient has nerves particularly sensitive to the mildly neurotoxic effects of local anesthetics. On the other, perhaps they are the sort looking for another lucrative lawsuit payout, a scenario more common in some parts of the country than others. Finally, the patient who is unable or unwilling to stay relatively still for the procedure presents obvious problems. Nerve blocks require precision and patience. Sudden or unexpected movements can put the patient and you at risk for complications. A needle stick injury will cause you, at a minimum, weeks of anxiety and require multiple lab tests. Your safety is important not only so you can provide uncompromising patient care for this patient, but for all the future ones as well. Do not place yourself at unnecessary risk. Thank you for your attention, and good luck with your regional anesthesia techniques. I hope this analysis has given you some useful perspective. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to us via email at learnonthego at uky.edu. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts as well, on Instagram and Twitter, UK Anesthesia. From all of us at UK Department of Anesthesiology, have a great day.